It's time for Loud Pipes. The podcast that brings you the best conversations relating to motorcycles, the riding experience, and other motoring adventures. Here are your hosts for this episode, Rich Warfield and John Maracle. Loud Pipes, episode 148. We have a ride review this evening. This time, by me, on a BMW. We'll be talking about it in a minute. Catching up with John, probably some more event planning. And I don't know, what else we got, John? Beers, probably, right? Beer, beer. <laughs> what you drinking tonight? Always talking about beers. Yeah, you always talk about beer. What right. you drinking tonight? Since, since I, um, did, did you get some more OMB? More OMB. No, no more OMB. Sorry, I'm stalling. I'm plugging in my recorder with some external power. All right, I'm good. Squeeze. I mean, is it because I got us going too early tonight? Well, no, I looked down at it and the battery indicator was blank. So that tells me there's not much left. <laughs> oh, well, you better plug it up then. It is plugged in and ready. And so is my beer. All right. What, what, you, what you sipping on tonight? It's not every day that I have to go to the dictionary, but Uh-oh. for this one, I actually had to go look it up just to make sure I tell the story correctly. Okay, I'm ready. The word is pernicious, and it means having a harmful effect, especially in a gradual or subtle way. So this is Wicked Weed's Pernicious IPA. 7.3% alcohol. And let me read you from the back because this is awesome. Okay, I'm ready. It says, pernicious implies influence that is harmful in a way not easily noticed. The beer is harmful, not because of overwhelming hot bitterness, but for its balanced brightness, which insidiously ruins your expectations for other IPAs. This hop delivery vehicle is crafted to enjoy fresh and often. <laughs> and because of its drinkability and clean finish, you'll never look at other IPAs the same again. The harm is done. And let's crack it open. And I already know it's good because I had one yesterday. <laughs> what are you drinking, John? Well, Cameron. Stall while I sip. I know, right? I I have another Samuel Adams tonight. Oh, do tell, do tell. And this is the Boston Lager tonight. Did you get a mix pack? I did. Somebody got me a mix mix pack. So nice. Is that the winter mix pack or the yeah the winter one? I think. So you've had the winter lager. What's next? Is there an old fezzy wig in there? I think so. There's like a black lager. I don't know about that. That's where the. The winter one came from, and then there's a 76. I'm not sure what else is down there. Very nice. Oh, Holiday Porter. Yeah, that's the dark one. I guess, I'm guessing you will not like that one. Most likely not. <laughs> All right, one, one quick reminder, and we're going to go ahead and hit our topic for the evening. Hang on, hang on. I got one more question for you. A question? Okay. It, it's about beer. Okay. Since you read that nice thing about your beer. Mm-hmm. And it says it's the 
best IPA is how I kind of got it. Is it the best IPA you've ever had? Considering the the alcohol level being over seven, it is. It's the balance is is quite stunning, I must say, because often when beers get that heavy, the balance goes away. So they have struck quite a nice balance, and it is for seven percent alcohol it is very easy drinking. All right, cool. Now you can continue on. Well, I'll give you one more piece of one more piece of evidence since you asked. Okay. The video I was editing last night was about 28 minutes in length. And 16 minutes into the video, the beer was gone. And I was like, wow, that's empty. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> well, that's that's pretty good review then. Yep, it's good stuff. All right, so can I hit my reminder now? Yeah, you can hit your reminder. Cool, thank you. Uh, just a reminder on the spoken wheel coming up on January 31st. And it looks like we are full for that one. As long as, uh, Jacob does his sign up, hint, hint, then we are full for the 31st talking about, uh, plans for 2019, which is our episode or is our topic for the episode. And for February, we have a topic as well and clicking rolling. Uh, February 28th will be the state of vintage motorcycling. And that is because we have Floyd Finch signed up for that one. So that's pretty cool. He's uh, the Southeast, what is it? South, I think I'll get this right. Southeast representative for the Japanese Vintage Motorcycle Club. If I remember the email correctly, yes. You know, the, the big group that sets up down at Barber every year? Yes. So that'll be and, cool. So he was the first to sign up for February, and I let him select the topic. Yep. And uh, and Jacob's in the live stream tonight. So, Jacob, yes, you heard it. You need to go sign up. Get on it. Get on it. And, and we have March lined up. We're working on March. Potentially, yeah. Potentially a topic for March. So uh, the website is thespokenwheel.com, and there's a sign-up link there. Right on that main page, you can sign up for February or March, and then We'll just keep building out from there. And I, ha- and I have the person to go the other side of March, I think. The other side of the coin. Okay. Off we go. Hang on. Get out of the way, John. Get out of the way. Hang on. You have one more? Go ahead. No, I'm good. You good? I'm good. I'm just telling you. Okay. Man, you're giving me a hard time tonight. All right, big topic for tonight. John had a chance to ride the new Can-Am Riker, and we talked about that on the last episode. So this week, it was my turn. And this ride really fulfilled two purposes. Obviously, I'm still looking for another bike, and that's something we'll talk about later in the show. But I'm not really sure what it is that I want. I mean, I have my heart set on a couple, but I'm not sure. And and the old adage sort of plays in here. Every time you test ride another bike, you get more and more confused. You get get exposed to more brands, more models, different features, different options, and the decision gets harder and harder. Every bike I throw a leg over. So this one started with the idea of defining sport touring. So I've been looking at, obviously, the Tracer GT formerly FJ09, as my future baby. But 
what I'm calling it as sport touring, I think a lot of people would consider that light touring. Would you agree, John? I would agree. I think that's the class that that bike is in is a light touring bike. And the sport touring definition is one of those, it, it doesn't have a solid definition that I'm aware of. I mean, there are parameters out there. So we started digging around and I took a look out there on a website that I've looked at in the past. And I don't know if we've uh, mentioned this one before, but this is called the riding obsession.com. Uh, they also have a podcast by the way, so you can check that out. And the article is from January. This, is a, this one's going back a ways now. This is from January 2015 by Joe uh, Conrardi. And hopefully, Joe, I'm saying that right. And it's his perspective on sport touring motorcycles. And the article was updated in February of 2018, so it's a little more, a little more recent. So one of the main things that he calls out, and I would agree with this, is there are some basic parameters to sport touring. And John, you can feel free to agree or tell me that I'm, I'm silly. Okay, <laughs> let's go. Now, now this is his take, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add, I'm going to take what he wrote and spin it into my own words. So the first thing that he says is it's enough power to propel two normal-sized humans down the road at a spirited pace. And since I mainly ride by myself, I would just say, you know, a bike that's capable of riding at a spirited pace and by spirited pace, that's how you define it. You know, however you define that, that's the number. So whatever's in your head, go with that. Bacon, we don't do spirit rides, do we? No, no. Light spirited. That's why I need a light sport touring bike for light spirited riding. Oh, okay. All All right. Light spirited. Okay. All right. Um, Joe also says roomy and comfortable enough for two normal sized humans to ride for several hours. And in my case, I would just say, you know, for me to ride for several hours. And I would add another piece to that is that any bike that you're going to consider touring, I think you should be able to run a fuel stop. You agree, John? Mm, mm -hmm, If mm -hmm. it's not comfortable enough to run a fuel stop, I don't think you have a touring bike. Yeah, I mean, you got to be able to do two to two and a half hours on a fuel run. Now, you know, we go back to doing these iron butts that I've done. I mean, people talk about making longer fuel runs, do 200 miles. I'm sorry, at, at the two hour, two and a half hour mark, your ma- brain, I think, is just mentally gone. Yeah, time to get off, right? You need to take a break to mentally decompress and take a break, collect. And I've done that many times where I've gone on long rides and I get to the point that I'm just been sitting, sitting, riding, and I'm tired, and I get back off. I get off the bike, and I'm for 15, 20 minutes, and I get back on. I'm so refreshed and ready to go. So, yes, a field run. Third criteria, hard luggage, capable of carrying enough gear for a weekend trip for the people that are on the bike. So in his case, he says two. For me, it's one, and plus half the studio, generally, wherever we're going. And I will just add to that that the luggage needs to be factory available. Whether it comes on the bike or not, it needs to be available from the manufacturer. Agree. And then the last bullet is considerable wind slash weather protection. And I think the weather protection here, for me personally, I will just say a large windshield because I don't, you know, the fairing is, you know, a large full fairing and covering your feet and all that. 
I think you could debate as long as it has, you know, a decent windshield on it. I think that will suffice. Right. And the windshield helps a lot with, um, fatigue. Correct. And the whole, the whole classification of touring in general is really a mindset. We, you know, we can go back to the, our, one of our real early episodes where, you know, that's basically what we said is touring is a mindset, you know, being able to go on a long trip on any motorcycle is, is possible. But when we start talking about shopping bikes in a class, we want to put some parameters around it. So that's a great article. And one of the things that are mentioned in the article that, that I agree with is that many feel this BMW RT that I rode, the uh, R1200 RT is a 2018 model is one of the first, if not the first, dedicated sport touring bikes to come from a manufacturer. So the article calls out what many consider to be the first is the R100RS, and then on from there. And didn't, did Tom have a R100? He had a K100. A K100, okay. So he had the square four, not the, not the twin. So great article. I would advise people to check that out and, you know, kind of frame your own sport touring definition. Um, when I think of sport touring in terms of a class, I'm also thinking of things like shaft drive for maintenance. Um, mm-hmm. a- although I know the tracer does not have that, but that's one of the things I'm thinking of. Um, and just maintenance and durability in general, you know, something that's pretty, pretty well proven. So I figured if we're going to go through the class, let's start with one that's been out there for 30 years or more. And like I said, that's the uh, R1200 RT. Sweet. That's sweet. Sweet. So it is a spendy piece. I got to tell you. (laughs) Yeah, it is top of the class, though. So was it worth the money when you first sat on it? You know. Did it feel like the nice fit and finish that you expected for a bike at that price range? Yes. Yeah, that was one of the first things I noticed was just the way the bike felt, its balance, the the feel of the controls, the movement of the controls. Just like you said, fit and finish, beautiful. So definitely you knew you were on a, a 20,000 plus bike for sure. Which is is refreshing because if you're going to spend that kind of coin, you're hoping it shows up in the product. Right. Now, since it had a windshield, and I know how much you hate the windshield, (laughs) was it windshield, you know, electronic? Could you adjust it while you're riding? Yes. Were you able to get it low enough? And if you want to go higher, you know, to help kind of keep the wind more off of it, could you do that as well? The windshield was one of the one of the better setups I've seen on a touring bike. So in its lowest position, it was how I how I like it. Lots of wind. I could feel lots of wind in my face, and when you see the video, you can you can even hear it. So, but like you said, it's it's adjustable. So there's just a little button on the on the left side. You move it up, move it down, and it moves a long ways. Like. <laughs> When when I tell you this thing moves a long ways, it moves up to the point where you're like, holy cow, this windshield's going to come off the bike. It's, like, it's so far up in the air. 
So in its lowest position, I think is perfect for around town or maybe when it's just super hot because you feel a lot of wind on the bike. And then as I played with it on the highway, somewhere in the middle, at least for me, there was a sweet spot Mm -hmm. where the wind noise was quiet. I was still getting a little bit around my helmet, but it was not noisy. There was no buffeting. It was just very smooth air, super pleasant. That's that's cool to see, and you didn't you know you didn't look through it at that level either. No, it was just below my sight line. I mean, for me, it was perfect in the middle. Yeah, and that's I guess that's the thing I'd say about you know with my windshield, and you know I'm big opponent think in favor of windshield. And it's just below it, and it's real comfortable, and takes it, you know, off. You know, yeah. I couldn't ride without one, so that's like I go back to the Riker. That was one of the things that had to have windshield. Yeah, I could see, I could see putting a few trips on a bike like this, and then not being able to ride my cruiser again, because you get in that sweet spot of the windshield where it's quiet and there's no buffeting, but I'm still looking over it. And then you put it down, and then you you know you hear the noise, and your head starts bobbling around a little bit. It's just like, why am I dealing with this? Right. So since it's shaft drive, and you're used to, I don't think you've really ridden many shaft drives. You know, how was the performance of it? Could you tell a difference with the shaft compared to a belt and a chain? Not really. I mean, other than it was it was just smooth, and you know, brand new bike, so I wouldn't expect any any issues with that anyway. Um, I, I Just me personally, I like the idea of a shaft. I've never owned one, but I like the idea of it just in terms of very low maintenance and just mile after mile after mile with without cleaning and oiling and adjusting and checking and, you know, my gripe with the chain. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I hear you. Um, now, did the bike, I mean, I'm looking at some of the stuff, it had the hill control start. Did did you have any hills where did that help you at all, or you never had to use it? it didn't get gauge, or that model didn't have it. Um, I'll come back to that one, but before I, I want to finish the windshield. So, okay, sorry. Like I said, it goes up so high. Like I got it several inches above my sight line to where I was almost completely looking through the windshield. But at that point, the the way the pivot arms are, it's so high at that point, it's almost straight up and down. So it to get that extra height, it sort of takes the angle out of it and just kind of pushes it straight. And at that point, I felt it was too much. It actually, I could then feel the wind having some effect on the bike. So there's definitely reaches a point where the windshield is too high. Right. And at least that, for my height. And that might be helpful. Yeah, probably with your height and, you know, they make it for everybody range. And I think that's pretty cool that they have yeah. the adjustable windshield while you're riding down the road and doing it. And I mean, I can. I've changed mine, and I've changed it. Sometimes I've changed it a couple times. I, I I can't stand it. It totally changes. I'm like back to normal, lowest setting. Lowest possible. setting, yeah. And I'm happy with it, and I leave it alone. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if I was maybe like six four, six five, then that that upper end might work out just fine. But you know, for my height, just in the middle was was money. Yeah. Cool. All right, what else were we saying? Oh, the hill start control? Yeah, I'm not sure if it had. I'm just looking at some of the stuff. You know, I know my Subaru has it, and it's pretty cool while you're sitting on the hill with, you know, automatic trans- or manual transmissions. Uh, 
Yeah. Not let you roll backwards. And Yeah, it was all pretty flat. Every time we stopped, um, there, there was no incline to speak of, so I didn't, I didn't have a chance to try that. Okay. Relatively short ride. You know, let me, let me throw that out there. It was about 20, about 25 minutes all in. Probably a 60-40 split between side roads and highway. You know, 40% highway, 60% uh, surface roads and back roads. Right. And one of the things that I get down to that since you're looking at touring, and I love, mm-hmm. is cruise control. Yeah, I can see the value. We've we've talked about that before, and I I did try it once on the highway. Pretty pretty easy to engage and um, and adjust. the The screen on this was pretty nice. So this was a 2018. Okay, it had kind of a partial. I don't know if it was TFT, but it was very bright, and the colors were bright. Uh, kind of a partial info screen, and then analog gauges. But I I will say. Um, the salesperson Doug, who rode with me, he was on a 2019 GS uh, GSA. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! The new TFTs on those things, oh, gorgeous. I mean, oh. gorgeous. Oh, we're getting ba- you ain't get bacon all excited in here now. Yeah, bacon just rose up off his seat over there. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah he's probably what, 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 what <laughs> GS what TFT? Right now, did you play with the radio at all? No, didn't turn the radio on. Didn't really play with any of the features at all. So, give you know, given kind of a relatively short ride, I just wanted to feel out the bike itself in terms of how it handled and the controls and things like that. So, I didn't play with the tech at all. And so, if I'm, I know where you went, and I remember when we went on the the the, the Esteval and the Triumph Bonneville when you did that. Did you go down that one side that? Kind of sweeping the bobber. Yep. So we did that same side road. So we left and and this was at Motorcycles of Charlotte. So we'll, we'll give them a, a larger thank you at the end here. So it went down the that main surface road across the tracks like we did, and then took that same side road that was kind of twisty and a little bit hilly. How did the bike handle? It was fine. It was very very smooth. I mean the the balance on this thing, uh, just a little over six hundred pounds, fully fueled and ready to ride. But just very, very balanced. And just right. smooth. Like everything was just effortless and smooth with this thing. Hydraulic clutch, you know, ride by wire, um, shift assist pro up and down. So it was very cool. And I think the brakes were linked. I'd have to look that up because there was one instance where I got on the brake pretty hard and it it felt like it was braking front and rear. It was okay. very, very planted. Um, easy to flip back and forth. Yeah, they're very nimble for its size. Yep. Um, now I'm trying to think here. Let me think here. Um, I didn't get a picture of the tires, but I did. I did get it over a good, <laughs> a good amount, even on that one side road. <laughs> so with the with the bags, mm-hmm. storage. How's the bags on it for storage for your touring? You know, right? Uh, pretty good size. I think they're just short of a full size helmet. I think you can get a full-size helmet in the optional top case, but I'll have to check it. I don't think you could get a a full-size helmet in that side case. Okay. If I remember correctly. I mean, I guess depending on the size of the helmet, too, but, you know, if you had, like, an extra large full face, I don't know if that would go in there. Right. I'm trying to find you some stuff on the um, 
breakage. That's what <laughs> I was trying to find something. And if they had link breakage, um, I'm sitting here trying to remember questions. Yeah. To ask you. And I will say, like I said, this was a 2018, so it wasn't the new, uh, shift cam engine that's on the, the, the 1250. So this was the 1200 model, but you know, that's such a smooth power plant. You know, it makes over somewhere over 120 horsepower and, you know, and a good amount of torque as well. I don't have the number at my, at my fingertips, but that that is just a smooth power plant on the on the 19 the 19 is a little more so i think it's like 125 on the 19 and it's like 120 uh i'm 19 it's 125 and 92 on a torque oh, yeah. that's, an that's an 18 sorry i am looking at the 18 so i'm not sure what the 19s have yeah it was it was a small percentage gain on the on the 19 136 is what the 19 is. Oof. So they got what, 11? 11 more ponies? Yeah. What did you say, 119? 136. Oh, on ponies, yeah. Okay. How much torque? I don't have that in front of me. (laughs) Just asking a question. So uh, let's see. So. Well, here's here's another riding, I guess another riding tidbit. So this one had the Brembo calipers on it in the front. There were others on the showroom floor that instead of saying Brembo, they just said BMW, but they were still they still looked the same. So I don't know if that's an option or if that's just something that's changed from year to year, but there were definitely some on the on the showroom floor that the front brake calipers said BMW, not Brembo. So that's a little detail I want to look at, but I guess the the size of this bike is still what strikes me. So I like the idea of a sport touring bike, you know, the shaft drive, the big power, you know, all the creature comforts, but they're still pretty big machines, at, at least for me. You know, this is still a lot of machine to take down the road, a lot of fairing, you know, the baggage, right? or the, sorry, the luggage on the side. And I'm I'm just not sure yet if I'm if I'm ready for a machine of this size. Right. And this would be as you as we talked earlier, this would be fine as a sport touring where the FJ is more of a lightweight, so kind of like not apples to apples. Yeah, and the other thing I struggle with with sport touring is always the ratio of sport to tour. And I think this one leans a little more towards the touring side versus if you got something like the FJR or the concourse, you know, Cowie's big concourse. I think that leans a little more towards the sport side. Right. Just just my personal opinion. I'm sure others would disagree, but that's just my opinion there. Yep. And and thanks, Roger, because he was just asked that. I was going to ask that question where it was leaning towards. So Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's definitely a sporty bike. I mean... 17 inch tires, you know, good sticky rubber brakes were fantastic and it's not that heavy. So, you know, at 600 pounds to be a big touring bike like that, you know, I don't, I don't think that's a lot of weight because what's, what's the concourse you said, Rogers in the chat room. Yeah. Yeah. What Roger, what is your, your Connie fully fueled? I I thought it was over seven. 
I think it's up there, but yeah, it's a big boy. That's a. Um, looking at it right now. But this has that same feel as, um, and I know people will call this blasphemy, but <laughs> that same feel as when you get on a Harley touring bike, the the weight just disappears. You know, once you're rolling, I mean, it's very maneuverable, feels very light on its feet, doesn't feel like a heavy bike at all. 740. 740, okay. Thanks, Roger. So, so I mean, it. so the BMW would be lighter. Oh, that's 740 dry. Oh. So you're probably up to 800 pounds. So it's like 150 pounds difference. Okay. All right. Um, let's see. Other riding impressions. Yeah. What else you got for me? Sorry, I'm trying to. From an ergonomic standpoint, not everyone likes the Boxer engine because it pokes the cylinders out to the side right in front of your legs. Right. Um, my inseam is, is just short enough that it doesn't bother me. So the, if you look at a picture of one of these, you'll see these panels that come just behind the cylinder head and they kind of curve around and make the shape of like your foot and your leg. Um, I, I did not touch that part. It was real close. It was right there, but I didn't touch it at all. And, and the cylinder heads were never a factor for me. Right. You know, like I didn't catch my boot on it or anything. It's just. I mean, you know they're there, but I just they didn't come into any interference. Now, did um did a bike feel top heavy, or did it feel like it was low to the ground? No, no, it didn't feel top heavy at all. Which, from the looks of it, it was a little surprising. But then when you think about how low that boxer sits in the frame, you know, versus like your i four, which sits up much higher in the chassis than this one does, it. I think that's what attributes to the bike feeling so light. Is, is the way that engine sits. Yeah. And, and that's one thing, you know, as riding or having a Subaru with a boxer, I mean, that's the, the vantage point. They cost more to build, mm-hmm. but there's so much center of gravity is so much low planet. It's so much better. Yeah. Now the thing I did not feel on this one, which I was expecting is the twist. So with, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You and I talked about that yesterday with the way the engine sits in there. You know, like the Guzzi and the and the Gold Wings and other ones that are, um, where the engine is mounted that way. You get on the throttle, you usually feel a rock or a twist of the of the chassis. Right. I didn't really feel that on this bike, and I didn't ride it hard either. I'll you know I'll say that I never really cracked on it from the start. Um, I did on the highway a couple of times, but I just I just never felt that. I didn't feel the bike. I didn't feel that twisting motion on this bike. So I don't know if they're they're using some counterbalancers or something, but none of that. Yeah, and that's like we were talking earlier with the boxer and with the Subaru. You know, like I said to you earlier, I feel the rocking when it starts up. I don't feel it mm-hmm. once it's running. Once the motor warms up, it kind of disappears. You don't even feel it. But when you first started up originally, you can feel the car kind of rock back and forth. Then it settles down. Um. Another question. How was the heat coming off the engine? Well, it was only about 55, so I, I didn't feel anything from the engine. The radiators in this bike are up in the, the fairing, so they're above the cylinder heads. And okay. then the fans and the ducts are pointed out to the sides. So even at stoplights, I, I never felt a thing. That's probably good. I mean, your feet might get hit with it, but that's probably about it. Uh the vents look to be about knee height because they're above the cylinder heads. 
Right. I'm looking at a picture, so I was just trying to think of. Yeah. And like I said, it was 55 degrees. I don't know that I would have felt it anyway. Well, that'd be good Good if you got rained on and the pants blow on your legs and dry off your pants. Now, I purposely did wear jeans only. No, no base layer, no thermal layer. Right. I was like, let me just see how comfortable I am. On the upper, I had a t-shirt, sweatshirt, and my old, very old, <laughs> Joe Rocket jacket. Okay. And I was actually too warm. I, I could have done without the sweatshirt, for sure. It's all that probably, you know, the fairing and the wind just taking off of you, yep. you know. I got no wind. I got just below the knee, I could feel some wind, like on the lower part, like on my shin and the boot. And a little bit on the outside edge of my arms, like maybe from the middle of my forearm, kind of up to the shoulder area. That was it. I felt no other wind at all, especially with the windshield up. (laughs) I was riding behind a board. (laughs) And and that's good and bad because summertime, if you're on town, you're going to want that air. And if you don't get it, you're going to be like, ah, I'm I'm dying. But when it's cold and stuff, you're going to like, oh. And we talked about that afterwards with with Doug and and also Greg uh, Greg North, who's the the BMW manager over there. The I think it's the K series they were saying, like the big GTLs, right? They have these they have these extra fairings where you can just turn them and it just dumps a ton of air on you. That it's not available on the RT, but they were saying that that really pays dividends in the summertime. So you kind of invert the whole fairing system and it just dumps it right on you that's cool and i think the the gs's can do that to some degree because they're um it's largely fared by its tank and then the the windshield so there's more options there to put little planes on the side and dump it on you now if somebody was would you recommend if somebody's looking for a you know after riding it looking for a Sport touring bike, you think they should go check that out? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, if you're shopping sport touring, you you got to ride it and see if it's your thing. It was just a, it was a really well-sorted bike. It's very nice to ride. And, I mean, I think one of the big caveats is BMW maintenance is nightmare on it. Is that, you know, that'd probably be one of the concerns, right, of owning one? Or so, <laughs> so, me personally, I would buy... Well, so if I'm shopping this month, I would find a leftover 18, me personally. Okay. And I'm sure they've done their homework on the the camshift tech and all that stuff on the 2019, but just me personally, I'd take the 18. The rest of the bike, from what I understand, hasn't really changed, you know, save for some colors and things like that. That's what I would get if you like this bike. Okay. Just me personally. And... You know, hopefully I'll, I'll ride the 19 at some point and see if that engine makes a big difference. But yeah, me personally, if I'm shopping, I'm, I'm going to get me the 18. All right. Any final thoughts before we move on? Cause I really don't have any other questions. <laughs> I think you've answered them all. I mean, I, unless there's something else I've missed. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, we'll think we'll finish the bike and then we'll talk sport touring in general. The, the other thing is, what was I looking at? Just in terms of maintenance, I guess it really comes down to if you're maintaining a bike or if you're going to lean on a dealer. So I, I look at a bike like this and I, as much as 
I don't want to say this, as adventurous as I have been lately with the R6, I look at this bike and think, hmm, do I really want to start tearing that apart to do the maintenance? (laughs) You know, it's shaft drive, which, you know, I talked to Zion offline with his Guzzi, and I know Sir Mike has has, um, told me about maintenance like on his VTX and things like that. So I understand it's not that bad, but you know, the electronics and things like that, I just start looking at it thinking this may be a dealer bike for me, for me personally. If I bought this bike, I think I may be letting the dealer do the maintenance. It's one of those things. I mean, same thing with me with the F3. People say, well, why don't I do it? It's just like, well, there's certain things that dealers do as well as like connect it up to the computer and check for any errors, check the logs, you know, check to see if the computer, if it's thrown in any issues that I might not be detecting, but it's detecting. If I did my work myself, I don't know that information. And if you're out on a long ride, like I do, right. I'm going to break down. Right. Absolutely. I'm to be a top notch, ready to go. Yeah. And it's not, you know, I don't want to say that I don't want to just say BMW has high price maintenance. It's a premium product. You have to understand that. Right. You know, they're to my, to my in in my humble opinion, <laughs> they're not trying to compete with like an FJR or something like that directly because you know it's they're trying to make more of a premium product. And it's the same way when you shop cars, you know, shop a BMW against a like a Toyota or a Nissan. There's right. going to be a big price difference, and that's the the premium label. And and I kind of go the same boat, and we've talked offline about. You know, you're talking about premium. You know, you have an Audi and you have a GM or a Chevrolet, and now I have the Subaru. And the class of difference going into these other manufacturers from American dealers is just eye-opening, in my opinion. Yeah, some of it is really night and day, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, a guy I know. I mean, let's go, guy I work with. I mean, well, Subaru. I go in there and I had to have a maintenance done they're like oh you need a loaner car for a day here you go here you go yeah loaner car no qualms no issues and then a guy i work with his wife has a lexus you talk about going in there they're like oh hi you know how you doing today okay blah blah here's a rental car for you yeah you know no qualms where he has a ford they had to go in the shop and they're like rental car forty dollars <laughs> yeah, it's all baked in there somewhere but I, yeah, my, I guess my final and overall thought is just, like I said, it was a very nice bike to ride. I'd like to try the 19, you know, just for comparison, and maybe an older one. Maybe one that's a couple years old with some miles on it. Let's see how it stands up there. You know, people that own them, anyone that I've talked to that owns an RT generally buys another one when they come up to shopping. So I think that speaks volumes to it as well. So with that in your wheelhouse. I think the next bike you need to go compare against is an FJR. I agree 100%. I think that's the next one for comparison. And then, (laughs) as pre-show roundup, so we're talking about sport touring bikes, right? Mm -hmm. So in general, so you got compared this bike to the, you know, it's up against the FJR, you could probably say the Concourse. For sure. All right, and Super Duke GT. Right. So I got thrown on one that you should throw it up against too. 
Oh, oh. I'm getting my pen out. Hold on. And, and you know about this one. I'm surprised you haven't talked about this one. Okay. Go go after the Ninja H2SX SE. Oh, yeah, that's a pretty bike, isn't it? Oh, man. So you talk about the price because you talked about the price of the BMW that you test rode near 25. Mm-hmm. The Ninja's 25. It is. Now that that is the epitome of sport in the sport touring. <laughs> So what? Um, nearly 200 horsepower? Yeah, on a supercharged engine. Why not? Just just throwing it out this. And this I will give thanks to my good buddy Sid. Cuz he called me up tonight. I was talking about the show and he's like, "You know, you should look at the Ninja H2 SXE." Well, I was I was chatting with the boys over at Matthew's Fun Machines and one of those might be a demo I hear in the future. Oh, so we we may get a chance to try that one. <laughs> yeah, because I mean that's like the thing you talk about sport touring, you know. And he has a ninja, and yep. he's turned it into a ninja one thousand. He's and he's turned it into a touring bike. It has the bags, and and the bags come right off. And to my understanding, what he said was the ninja bags on his bike will actually fit the H two. So this gets into your personal definition. So a lot of people put the Ninja 1000 in the sport touring category. Right. Including myself, because it has wind protection, it's upright ergonomics, and it has hard luggage. It just happens to be chain-driven. Right. You know, if you want the shaft, you got to go with the concourse. Right. And and we also, what's really cool about it, and kind of throwing this out, and I know the FJR does it, I think the BMW will do it, I know Sid's um, Ninja does it. You know, when you take the luggage off, it looks clean. It's not like something there sticking out a little extra. I think there's like one little slot, and it comes. They come. It comes off really easy. Yeah, it looks finished. Yeah. So I think that's another one you need to kind of put in your wheelhouse. Gotcha. Of try to things to try out. Well, if you can, I mean, so that are you talking about the Ninja One Thousand or the H Two? H Two. See, the problem with the H Two is, well, this could be a whole other topic. Is getting to ride, generally getting to ride the Japanese motorcycles requires a serious commitment to buying it, or them designating it as a demo, or waiting for the demo truck which never shows up. Right. So that's the problem with riding something like the H2 is getting out on a $24,000 H2 sport touring bike is a tall order unless it's a demo. Right. And I was doing some peeking. I didn't look at any Kawasaki demos and Kawasaki demo. I think is a little harder. I haven't really heard many of them. Yamaha is the one that you could probably find the FJR, and I actually know. I looked at Yamaha's website earlier. There's going to be one down north, west of Atlanta, and end of March, and they're having that and a Nikon, in fact, and a Tracer GT. Yeah. So I know that's a little haul, but I would think that that demo truck will make its way around. Got it. So, yeah, and before we move on too much farther, 
like I said, a proper thank you to Motorcycles of Charlotte for uh, setting up the test ride for me. Uh, I started with David, who was the finance manager, and actually ended up doing the test ride with Doug, uh, Doug Bishop. And let's say I ran into Greg North over there. He's the sales and marketing manager. So you remember from the fashionista, she rode a couple of bikes with him in the past. And we talked about that. We talked about other BMW models and options for 2019. And also had a good chat with our a buddy, Charlie Hearn, over there about track days and other things. So you'll be hearing his name again in the future. Cool. So what shall we ponder on next? So we're good with sport bikes. So we have, or not sport bikes, sport touring bikes. Are you? I think we're good on that topic for now. We know what we're going to ride next. Yeah, I think you'd need to compare that to later this year. Try to find some demo days to get on those. The FJR, I think, would be a real good bike to compare against. I think you'd be, I know KP had one. I know he loved the bike. It was comfortable. Yeah. It moved. You felt like you're hardly moving and you're going faster than you thought you were. <laughs> I won't say the speeds because I know how fast he's going. I won't yeah. learn plus. And the whole class is interesting to me, even even more so now after riding this this beautiful RT in that as you move up in that price point, there's so many more features and things tend to be built, you know, built a little bit better, maybe a little more premium. So it's worth looking at some of these bigger sport touring bikes for sure. Yeah. So let's see. BMW's had another good year as Did far they? as motorcycles. Oh. Yes, sir. Wow. They're, they're eighth straight all time sales high in 2018. Worldwide deliveries increased by just under 1% to 165,000 vehicles. That is good. That's good, especially in a in a world where you often hear many people talking about, you know, motorcycles declining and kind of the the sport in general. So it's nice to have a bright spot out there. Right, and I think it comes in play with some of the bikes they've came out with um you know, the 9T. R9T, yeah. And the, and the variations. Yep. And I think they came out with, did they come out with a Scrambler model as well? There's a Scrambler version of that. So, I mean, you kind of get some of the, entry, I would say, more cost-effective entry-level bikes. And I think that other one, which one I think, oh. Well, there's the new R310, I believe yeah. what that's called, the smaller sport yep, bike. G, the G310. R, yeah. And then you got the S1000Rs, and they got some nice bikes. Yeah. So. Yeah, the S1000RR is all new for this yeah. year. That's pretty cool. The GS is updated. The GS and RT both have new engines. So they got some pretty cool product and, and some really nice paint schemes for 2019. So everything I looked at over at uh, Motorcycles of Charlotte, especially that that gold color, like gold and black color on the GS. Sweetness. I love that red one that you found on the RT. I thought that color went in the red and black. Ah, here's the disappointing part. Oh. It doesn't look like that in person. Oh. The red is not nearly as bright and it's a little orange. Oh. It doesn't I I was so disappointed. The pictures, I mean it's as Beautiful red, almost like Ducati red, 
in the pictures. And then in person, it's like, huh, that's more like maroon and a touch of orange in it. Mm. Much darker than I thought. Not the bright red I was expecting. All right. Bummer. Yeah, bummer. All right. So yeah, good good job for BMW and can't wait to see how those those new twelve fifties work out. Right. Should be pretty cool to see. And I think isn't uh yeah, also BMW is going into the world superbike. That's correct. Yeah, the new S one thousand double R is joining the ranks of World Superbike this year. So So that'll help and, promote and that's a factory team as well. And BMW ain't going to skimp on teams, <laughs> as you know from sport car racing, that they go in. Well, it'll be exciting. You know, Kawasaki winning the last three, if not four, championships, and Ducati always there, nipping at their heels. Uh, Yamaha was picking up the pace last year again. Uh, MV and Aprilia, I don't think, as much. Um, but this year, so wait a minute, so... Kawasaki, Ducati, now BMW. They already had MV and Aprilia. Yeah, so there's five, five makes this year. Oh, and Yamaha. Okay. Or maybe there's no MV because I think there's only five. You mm, turn for next week. All right. <laughs> we'll get old man Slacker in here to straighten us out. He's the the racing aficionado. Yeah, so let's uh, thank our people. Our people, yeah. Let's take a moment and thank those people who continue to make our show possible. And how do we do that, John? (laughs) I'm just kidding. kidding. (laughs) We do that by thanking the Riders of Loud Pipes for their continued support. First five, Marcus, Rickard, Edward, Jebby, and Zion. Thank you, fellas. Slack Pack is Chuck, Nobby Tire, Old Man Slacker, Sir Mike, and the executive producer of Chaos and Why Not Mayhem. Barbershop is Steven and Jacob. Loud Pipes Racing is still Mr. Birch. Thank you, sir. Steve, Micah, Kenny, Dangerous Dave, James, Bronco Ride, Rich, Joe, and Tony. That makes up our riders group. And Darren, the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast, Jared, Kale, and David round out the insiders. So we appreciate all the support, no matter the size. And if you would like to join our group, support the show, and hang out with us in the clubhouse and all the other shenanigans that we have offline, check out loudpipes.net slash donate and check out all the things we have to offer. You shouldn't be drinking and riding, Rich. Can't be drinking and riding. No, we're not ri- we're not riding though during the show. Well, but remember Marshall we're parked. Oh, okay. Because you know, at the end, chick stands up and we ride out. That's right. So yes, you shouldn't do that either. But I'm not riding at the moment. Okay. <laughs> so, quick update on Loud Pipes Racing. So I am still waiting for my stickers. Little brother Kenny has some vinyl in the mail for me. We will get that off. Um, had a little mix-up with my sticker order, so it looks like those are not going to ship for another couple of days. But in the meantime, I have still been wrenching on my little track bike. 
How's how is the project going? It is going actually pretty well. Okay. So new tires are mounted and balanced. They're actually still over at Matthew's Fun Machines. They are also putting in new uh, bearings for me as well. I figure why not? 18-year-old bike. I don't think they've ever been touched. I inspected the steering head bearings earlier today, and they all seem really tight, even though I might replace them as well. And I need to take a little check on the swing arm as well. Since all the wheels are off it and the brakes are off of it, just take a look at all that while it's open. Did you get your gaskets? Gaskets are in. Have they been installed? I have not been installed. Have you got the old back gaskets off? <laughs> um, I have the old one off. So here's here's what I'm contemplating. I have the old one off on the alternator cover. And I was staring at the right side of the bike today, looking at the clutch cover, thinking, should I just remove that now and do it? You want my answer? I should. But I don't want to because I don't know how much. Well, well, here here will be the deciding factor. If I can remove the cover without it dismantling the clutch in any way, I will do it. But the way the shift rod goes in the bottom and all that, I'm thinking some of it's got to come apart to get that cover off. Mm. I could be wrong. So I'm going to look at the book, do some uh, web searching as well, and if it's not that much of a job to just pull that cover and do that one, I will do the clutch cover as well. Um, but I'm not doing the sprocket, the one behind the front sprocket. Okay. I'm not going to touch that one. All right. But then that'll be it. So new wheels, I'm going to put new brake pads on it. And like I said, I was talking to to Charlie over at uh, MOC. He's done... 10 or more track days at this point. So he's kind of giving me some great guidance. I uh, appreciate that info. And, and maybe we'll even hook up for a track day in April. This looks like to be the first one is going to be the first part of April. Hmm. So with that, Johnny, I have, let's see, February and March to ride the bike a little bit on the street, break in those new tires like we talked about, I think, last show. Mm-hmm. And then the decision is, do we license it? Or do I drop it at that point? So it, I think it that'll all, depend on what I do with the deuce. Yeah. Oh, that's oh. something about the deuce, I think. Oh, Johnny, it's so hard. I know it is. It's so hard. I know it is. So what's going on here, buddy? Talk to me. Share to well, our list. Two days ago. Yes. All right. Up until two days ago, I was dead set on selling it. Okay. So I actually went as far as gathered up all the parts for it, put them in a pile, took some pictures, did some research on how much people have been getting for 2007 Softail deuces, and even sort of settled on a price. But I can't list it now because I'm going away on vacation in a couple days. So that's right. not real cool to list it and then not be here to show it. That is true. So like I said, two days ago, I was all set. I was going to list it when I came back, put it up for two weeks and see what happens. Uh-huh. What happened between two days ago and to now? Test ride in the RT. <laughs> so, okay. and I, know, so I know that sounds weird that 
riding a new bike would get you to not sell yours, but it just made me take a step back and say, okay, let's really think about this next bike. What is it that I really want? You know, is it the FJ slash Tracer GT? Is it something else, something bigger, something smaller, something different? So it just kind of made me pause a second and say, wait a minute, what do you really want? So, and that's so where I'm at today. I think, let me, let me ponder this. So we rode the RT and well, I'll step back and let me go differently. You ride the deuce, you go on these trips. You've been going on yep. more long distance trips with me. You're doing more long distance. You're going longer trips, more longer rides. And you run into problems every time you get ready to go on a trip with not comfortable, can't get the luggage right. You're worrying about the luggage while you're riding. And you're more, I think, in the back of your mind, in my opinion, you're more concerned about everything else instead of enjoying your ride. On the longer rides, yes, because luggage has been a challenge. Long distance comfort has been a, a challenge. And when you're not doing it that often, it doesn't matter. You suck it up, right? Once a year, take a big trip, who cares? But then you start doing that two, three, or more times in a year. Or even if your short rides start becoming multiple hours, then you start thinking, ah, oh, all right, maybe this isn't really the bike for this. Right. And in last year, it's shown that you enjoyed riding the R6 and more comfortable in the R6 a lot more on a super sport. Right. Which should not be then you're comfortable at all. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think the bigger thing is, I think, in my looking at this, is that I think you need, you figured out that you need to sell the Harley, but what you're going to buy, you don't know because you got these different. Right. Pieces you want to buy. So that goes back to, you know, 24K for a BMW. That's almost road glide money. We'll put it in Harley terms. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's worth it. It, it felt worth it to me. I mean, I was not, I was not riding it thinking this is overpriced. I was thinking more, wow, how nice this is, you know? Right. So that goes back to your light, because I know you want a sport touring bike. Or- well, sport sporting part aside, I, I just want something that is more comfortable for longer distances and has real luggage. Right. That's so that, the minimum uh, criteria. <laughs> so that leads you to, and it, you, it goes, you keep going back to circles. It always takes you back to the FJ and that tracer. You keep circling that circle. You do realize that, right? You keep coming back to that same conclusion. Yeah, it's a circular conversation. I find something new. I talk about it, try to justify it, or start comparing. And then, yeah, it always settles back to the same bike. And the thing about the FJ or the Tracer GT is it has so many checkboxes it checks. You know, first thing, the price. Well, let's call it, let's call it value. Okay. Value. All right. We'll put a value. What you get for the dollars. So what you're getting is, is a really good piece. You know, 
in a few years, I think this will take care of your short-term tour ability. You know, until you get something a little, where you want to go a little more comfortable. Yeah, and I'll give people the backstory. John and I talked earlier today for two hours. Yeah, two hours. About, <laughs> oh, what should I do? <laughs> and we just went back and forth and... And and we should have recorded. I'll just put it that way. We should have recorded. Every 35 minutes, I think we came back to, well, I should just get a used FJ. <laughs> it was hilarious, actually. And 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 everybody's giving you input here. You know, Bacon saying something with more travel expansion. Yes, that's what you need. So you do need something. I mean, you'd have to upgrade to something with Harley Road King. You know, I think it's a really cool looking bike. But you're talking 20K for that as well. Unless you get a used one, yeah. And then, and then let's just put it this well. And then you're thinking about something else as well. So I don't want to throw that other out there because. Well, and like like we started our our two hour conversation earlier today. The thought of whether we buy now or wait, you know, even wait a year, is. Is it a 10-year bike? Like, am I looking for a 10-year bike, or am I just looking to scratch the itch for the next couple of years and see where I land? It's it's a hard thing to decide on. And I think, you know, after our conversation and talking with you over prior to last year about the FJ, and you keep going back to it, I think the Tracer is the best choice for you. I think you should put the deuce up for sale. Today it is, yes. For... And that, that was the only hesitation was it is the the bike today, but beyond five years, is it still the bike? I don't know. And maybe I shouldn't even think about that now. I don't think you should. Because your riding style could change. Right. Your riding style could change. Um, and the problem is, you know, pe- people have asked me about the price. They're like, well, you get a used FJ, you're talking like 6000 Why don't you just buy it and keep the Harley? That's not really fair to the Harley. It's just going to rot. It's just going to sit there, not be ridden. And then I'm going to be in the same boat as I was with the KLR where the cylinder is going to get rusty and I pay more to get the darn thing fixed than I sold it for. So it's like, I don't want to do that same process with this bike. If I'm not going to ride it regularly, then it needs to go. I mean, you've shown it this past year because you... Every time I saw you, pretty much every time we met, it was on the R6. Pretty much. Every time. You're on the R6. Yep. So it goes back to the point is that I think two bikes in a stable I think is good. I think you should take the, get the R6 fixed get it so it's, you know, all the stuff does, make that your permanent track bike, you know. And you could always take it back and make it street legal pretty quickly in a day or so with tags and insurance pretty quickly. Yeah. And then you get a touring bike to tour on, to travel the road with, to, to get out and adventure. Yeah. So I think what Roger's trying to say is how many miles did I put on the, the Harley this year? I'd, I'd have to look. I don't know, but I know I put over 4,000 on the R6 and... The inspection ran out in July on the deuce, it's, and it's still not inspected. <laughs> so, if that's any sign of how much it's ridden, so so that's where I'm going with your with your helping you decide is, you know, and I know Bacon's 
you know, about Harley, you just don't get rid of it. I know you're attached to it. It was your first. Yeah, it's emotional. It's purely emotional. Yeah. But I think you're to the point that you need to move on because your riding style has changed. You're not going around town, around town to the local bar or local event or local something. You're going on long trips. And that's where it is. And Roger just, you know, said, you haven't gotten inspected. You know it. It speaks volumes. You already know it. Other than the one trip I took to D.C. on the Deuce, um, it probably wasn't even a 1,000 miles. Would be my guess. I'd have to go back and, you know what, I'll do that after the show. I'll get the, um, I'll get the actual numbers and, and compare it. But I think that decision, that decision's over for me personally. If if I'm buying another bike, the deuce is being sold. Yeah, so that conversation's over. If I keep the deuce, it's going to be ridden. It's not going to be stuffed away in mothballs. I don't think you're going to ride it because I think in the back of your head, you have realized that R6 is more comfortable, and you said it because it it hurts your back. The bumps hurt you, you know. Well, and holding yourself up with no windshield and, right, you know, trying trying to put the uh, zip tie the bag to the back, like it's yeah. a it's a combination. There's several factors leading to the discomfort. It's not just the suspension, right? And we talked about this before, and I've talked about it on a previous show. And the deuce is like when I had my RSS. It was a limited run, not many options, and I had to make it work. I made it work. But since I got an F3, it's so much enjoyable. The side cases, the top case, oh, the comfort. Just, just telling you, yeah, you'll be happy. Well, I think we might be boring people with this, except for those that <laughs> want to follow the personal drama. So let's kick the deuce chat into the downshift. And all right, all right, I, I will just say to anyone listening out there, if I'm going to sleep on it this weekend while I'm on vacation. And if it, if I do put it up for sale next week, then, you know, anyone who's listening will get first crack at it. If you want it, you know, we'll share the links and things like that. So, but I think it's, I think it's going to go. And I don't really, this was the other big thing we talked about. I don't really want to talk about the replacement until it's gone. And I know, you know, how much money I have, how much else I can save. There's really no sense of talking about the future bike until it's gone. Right. All right. Cool. So, so we hit a topic that we don't talk very much about. Yeah, automo. Oh wait, we have sound for that. Oh, okay. Automotive, right? Yeah. Uh, automotive. Where is it? Stall, stall. So, wanted to see. There it is. All right. So, this past Monday, at the Detroit Auto Show, Detroit Subaru released. They viewed the new WRX STI S209. S2, what does the S209 stand for, Johnny John? It's a prototype that they, I won't say prototype, it's above the STI with more stuff. It's the 2.5 liter boxer engine putting out uh, 341 horsepower all-wheel drive. The S209 is the 10th S-Line car since the S201 in the year 2000. 
Yep. And it's the first time the, I think the S series is going to be in America. Yep. Follow up to the Japan only S208, which we never saw. So how, how rowdy is this thing compared to, well, you don't have a, an STI, but so you have a, you have I the have, WRX, then you have the STI, and then you have this S209. Like, how much more aggressive are we talking? Like, is this double the price? Is it a small increase? What are we talking? They about? haven't said the price. I think I'd probably say it's probably going to be about sixty k, at least. Okay. And you know, what is, what does an STI run for in the forties? I think forties. Okay. And mine's upper twenties, low thirties. Depends on the package. And they're going to only make 200 units. So it's going to be very limited. On the car, it's going to be um, um, they're going to have on the console or in the middle, it's going to have the serial number of the car. Uh, I think they got more the Ricard bucket seats, so they're going to be more of aggressive race seats. So then... You're not going to have a chance at getting one of these if there's going to be that few of them made. Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm like, no. And they're talking, um, they haven't not surprised, but expected to be quite a bit more expensive than the 50,000 Type RA that came out last year. So here, here's an interesting thing then. And I, I don't know if you have an answer to this, but something to think about. How many of the parts slash upgrades do you think will be available for purchase like over the counter like will you be able to get some of these goodies or not i don't know i mean the sti you might because i think the sti has the same motor um if it's the same motor i kind of it's really cool to see the only problem the one reason i didn't go with an sti is that two five is a timing belt instead of a timing chain Mm, longevity and maintenance yeah so you're gonna have to replace that belt at some point in time so they put the big spoiler on the big wing on the back. I think it's really cool that they came out with it and, you know, all wheel drive. I think, um, I said this to you offline is I think this is their piece to compete with a focus RS. Mm-hmm. That is what they're going to do. Did you ever get a chance to drive the RS? I know you were thinking about that at one point. Uh, I, I never, no, the RS wasn't out when I- You drove the ST. I did a Fiesta ST. Okay. And I sat in a Focus ST, and the problem is, is that it's a lot more compact. I know Dangerous Dave, son has an ST, Focus ST, and it's fun to ride or drive. Little pocket rocket. They are. So, so. Well, interesting- do you, have, do you have more on the Subaru? No, that's that's all. I just thought it was pretty cool to you know see that they're coming out with it. You know, I have the WRX and I love the car. I think it's a an awesome car all the way around. It's so. a fun car. The so the article right below it, also from the Detroit Auto Show, says the new Shelby Mustang GT500 uses the same supercharger as the Corvette ZR1. It's like what? <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't look at much of the details on the new uh, snake, so. Mm. All right. I heard you got some other little tidbit in here. Well, not so much a tidbit. I'm really, I'm curious to see what people think about this. So we haven't talked racing in a while, like car racing and 
I haven't talked about my love of Corvette in a while. So I'm just curious to see or curious to hear how people feel about the possibility. And I'm only saying possibility because GM hasn't said officially is the possibility of a mid engine Corvette. And if it's not a V8, how much outrage will there be? (laughs) You know what I mean, John? (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of looking at photos real quick. I like the old C7. I like, to me, the C8 is looking like a a Ford GT. It's it's looking like a hodgepodge between yeah a Ford GT, some sort of Ferrari, and then some cheap parts from like two generations ago Corvette. It's the streetcar at least is looking. Well, these are not streetcars. These are images and renderings but some of it's looking like a hot mess to me i'm not i'm not on board with all the styling so i'm trying not to look at it i'm trying not to follow it until we actually see the real car because i don't want to be jaded and you know have all these you know have all these preconceived notions and then the car comes out and you're like you end up hating it because you've seen all this junk for the last year online right but one of the things that i'm focused on is what is the powertrain going to be? You know, are we still going to see a pushrod V8? Are we going to see a move to turbos? Are we going to see them go, you know, play the twin turbo V6 like the Ford does? <clears throat> Lord help us, they don't make it sound as terrible as the GT. So when there were some videos floating around of the race car, to me, it clearly sounded like a V8 until recently. And recently, I'm sorry, no, recently there was some streetcar footage captured on a racetrack, and some people thought it sounded like a V6, more like a turbo V6. They're like, oh, it sounds more like the Ford GT. Until you dig in a little bit and compare it to some other cars, then you can make the argument it sounds more like a like a, a flat crank V8 from, you know, if you listen to some of the Ferrari models that have the the turbos, you get a similar sound to what was presented in these latest videos. So I'm excited for that. If it's a flat crank V8, you know, with some turbos on it, game on. But if they made it a twin turbo V6, I'm out. Like, I I want no part of that at all. I probably could see them doing a twin turbo V6 because then you could say the... They could say, we're just as terrible as Ford. No, that, but then you look at the gas mileage and, I mean, can you shove a V8 in the middle of that thing? And Yes. I'm just saying. V10s, V12s, see Lamborghini for details. Yeah, true. But, you know, I don't know. They're, they're, I, I say if they're going to go mid-engine, I'm, I'm on boat with you. I'm not. I like the old style, you know, front engine. I think it looks classy. It's a Corvette. You're going now to, if you go mid-engine, you're going to go into Lamborghini Ferrari, like you said. To, um, yeah. GT. I mean, now you're copying. Well, here, here's what I hope for for Chevy, and if if you're listening, please take this advice to heart. <laughs> they continue to make the Stingray in its front-engine 
rear drive configuration. And I'm sorry, even if there's a mid-engine Corvette, there should be a C8. There should be another generation of the front-engine car. And call the mid-engine car something else. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think I think you've got to keep. You've got to keep the the front engine car. This is just my personal take. And, and dangerous Davis to take the mid take the leap and put a V12 in it. V12. I'm pretty sure it's going to be boosted. I don't. That that much I think is is going to happen. I think it's going to be boosted in some capacity. Probably turbocharged. Probably twin. And at a minimum, smaller displacement V8. That's to, that's my guess, and hopefully that's what happens. To get across the lines of the EPA mandate of gas mileage across the board, probably because if they are talking about dropping car lines and they sell to the trucks and they haven't increased the gas economy across the trucks, then you're going to have to... Do something. Well, you know, at a minimum, in the first year, if not the first couple years, they're just going to keep on making that stingray right alongside with it. Yeah. I mean, look what they've done with the pickup trucks. Have you been following any of that? No. So I went, I don't know if we talked about this. I went a month or a month and a half ago and looked at a new GMC, Mm -hmm. and it was an 18 leftover. What I thought was an 18 leftover because the service from 2019 is already on the lot. And the dealer said, no, they're going to continue to make the 18 for like another six to nine months into 2019. I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Why is that? He didn't clarify, but he just said they're going to continue to make them. So is it, did they remodel the 19? Yeah, the 19's all all new. New look, you know, new chassis, all that stuff. Oh. You know, whole new whole new generation. So, I don't know. I like the 18s. I don't the 19 GMCs look terrible to me, but that's just maybe because they're new. Hmm. They look like a mishmash between the new Titan, a Tundra and Ford. Oh. I mean, I guess they're all looking the same now, but in certain angles, it really looks like the new Titan. Mm. And the Tundra, which I've never really liked. Yeah. So, mid-engine Corvette, maybe? We'll see. The race team has said this is the last year for the C7, so we've already heard that they'll be racing the C8 next year, regardless of what trim it is. Uh, this should be the swan song for the C7R. So I'm going to have to go see it on track before uh, before it's done. Maybe Road Atlanta. Maybe the season ender, the last race for it. That'd be fun. Okay. Okay. All right, Johnny John, anything else? I think that is it. That's it for you? All right. Let's talk about events a little bit. Okay. What do we got going on? First, what event are you heading up to first? First one coming up is the Easy Riders Bike Show in Charlotte. That will be January 26th through 27th at the Park Expo. I am planning to be there on Sunday, the 27th, uh, with or without Kenny, who keeps watching the weather like he's uh, Al Roker. 
Uh, February 8th through the 12th is the Progressive International Motorcycle Show in D.C. Depending on my travel schedule, I might be able to hit that up. Uh, Brother Bacon's going to go to the Atlanta Flat Track Race March 23rd and give us a report. And April 12th through the 14th, Johnny John will be in Texas for MotoGP. Yep. And shenanigans. We don't do no shenanigans. That same weekend, I will most likely go to the Congregation Show on the 13th of April. Sweet. And then we have the fourth annual Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge, May 9th through the 29th. Details coming soon. How soon? How soon you want to do it? Oh. March 1st? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. June 1st is the East Coast meetup for Moto Amino slash Dragon Crew in Salisbury. Yep. Contact John if you're interested. And the Loud Pipes meetup is going to be in June. One weekend that's not June 1st. That'll be around the West Virginia slash Virginia line in the mountainous area. For some good riding and uh, camaraderie, as we say. John's going to go to Gettysburg meetup. When is that? July? July 12th through 14th. I think. I'm watching him type. (laughs) I think. Dave's in the chat. Dave. When is it, Dave? Dave. Are you going to beat me? Uh, yeah, it is 12th or it might be 11th through the 14th, 11th through the 14th. Okay. Uh, Thursday. Another event I would like to do is antiques on main antique motorcycles on main street in Chesney, South Carolina. That's July 27th through 29th, uh, August 9th through 12th. John will be in upstate New York on a trip. And in May of 2020, I will be at the Isle of Man. Hopefully in the pits. Hanging out with the people's bike, a blazoned with loud pipe stickers. If everything goes well. <laughs> There's right. one for you. There's one more for you. Come on. Add John's that. going to Sturgis, August 2020. There you go. <sighs> you suck. Because you know I'm going to have to try and go to that. Come on. There's talk that Roger's going to come. <sighs> like Chad might be coming. Got dangerous Dave. All right, Johnny John, thank you. Yeah, man. Be an interesting downshift. All right. I would like to again thank our riders of Loud Pipes for their continued support. And if you're interested in joining our group and supporting the show, please visit loudpipes.net forward slash donate. And we do the show as often as we can Thursday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Join us on the Mixler app, loudpipes.net slash live is the place to go. And additional information from this episode, including links and an image or two of that beautiful uh, RT that I rode, can be found on the website, loudpipes.net slash 148. We have links there to leave us some feedback, subscribe to the show, and follow us on social media. Johnny John, put your kickstand up, my brother. Don't have a stick. Don't have a stick. All right. Well, then what do you do? Parking. Parking break off. All right. Good enough. Good night.
you for listening. Please consider supporting the show. We offer generous rewards for your contribution. Find more details at loudpipes.net forward slash donate. 